everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chapter Tactics, the Warmer 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, Senior PD Pob, and with me I have two wonderful regular co-hosts, Skari the Archon. That's Ooh, me. I like that. And- <laughs> Hello, everyone, I, and I welcome didn't. to another episode. I don't like and- that. Peter, <laughs> the falcon swooping in from isolation. Cheep, cheep. <laughs> it's not a falcon, Peter. Uh-huh. It's in your contract. I, we get two cacaws an episode. <laughs> we, yeah. Sign on the dotted line. We want the whole falcon, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if you're reading, the, if you read the title, you clicked on this episode, you already know what it's about. We are going to be ranking the all nine of the Psychic Awakening books. This is the penultimate episode leading to ninth, or actually the final episode leading to ninth edition. Next week we start all of our ninth edition coverage. We're going to talk about competitive ninth edition, what that's going to look like. We're going to talk about factions, what factions are going to be good, not so good. We're going to get top players in for interviews. We've got an interview with a play tester being released out to the public, and so much more. It's going to be oh, a lot good. of fun. I'm very excited. Ninth edition hype is real. And uh, you know, with COVID going on. Um, we're definitely going to have a lot more theorizing about the meta, but there are some tournaments that have been happening as well. And since 40k Stat Center is on temporary hiatus, we might actually cover some of those as well. All right, Peter, Scar, are you excited? No, I'm excited. Time to corner the market. What? Not, not at all. Of, <laughs> speaking of cornering the market, let's start with that introduction. So first and for uh, the announcements. First and foremost. If you haven't already heard, FrontlineGaming.org is selling that new Indominus box set. If you want to get your grubby paws on that, I would be quick on the trigger. You can go to FrontlineGaming.org, log on at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and get that Indominus box set. They're going to be limited. I've heard through the grapevine that there's not going to be as many Indominus boxes as there is a demand for them. So if you don't want to be a putz and buy your Indominus box on eBay for $500 in two weeks, get it this weekend. And get it through Frontline Gaming. If you don't get it through us, because we're probably going to sell out, get it somewhere else. Get it from GW, get it somewhere else, because they are going to sell out so fast. Peter, Scari, are you? Are either of you excited for this box set? Uh, yes. The, it's like, what, 200 bucks for like $500 worth of models? Oh yeah, like it's 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 nuts. Um, mm. I was lucky enough to get a copy from GW to do pre-release stuff. Nice. And I've been building the Black Templars and taking a look at the Necron Sprues. There's so much detail in these models, and my Black Templars are itching at the bit to get some shielded Primera Space Marines that uh, can't fail one plus saves. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing, right, is um, with this Dominus box, there's so much hype going on, but we still don't have all of the rules. We have a lot of them. We have probably more than GW wanted us to have. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, no. We don't, have, <laughs> we don't have all of them. There's still an FAQ, which GW announces. And also, uh, GW was super airtight on the, uh, the, what, the general's tome or whatever whatever the, the chapter the book? book is called yes yeah uh so they didn't give out as many of those to people as the as I'll, as I'll say i'm a gt player that's like the book that i'm probably the yes. most 
like itching at the bit to get my hands on. Yeah, yeah, that is the book that everyone wants, and with the exception of, as far as I've seen online, with the exception of the leaks uh, that GW didn't want you to see, I haven't seen a lot of reviews for that book. No, um, there and hasn't if, been any. It's and if just that bad, those two bad watermarked leaks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and uh, so. It's I I suspect that GW was already planning on keeping a tight lid on that book, mm-hmm. um, but now I think more so than ever. Um, even you know people like Frontline Gaming who've been you know content creators for GW and you know we have two playtesters um, who are the owners of the company on the Frontline Gaming team. Even we weren't able to get those books early um, for review copies. So I imagine we'll get review copies for that book this week, like everyone else. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see those review copies until or those review videos until the very end of the week. Um, I feel it feels very much like GW wanted to keep those points under wraps. But sure. But when as soon as they reveal them, come on, Chapter Tactics, we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about all that stuff. It's going to be super exciting. Also, if you're thinking about supporting the podcast, helping us keep the lights on, and maybe you want to win some cool swag, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash chapter tactics. This month, we are going to be giving away an Indominus box to one lucky patron, and then one lucky patron also won cool Admech stuff, and they've been messaged already. I deleted the note with the patron's name on it, or else I would say their name. Um, It starts with an E. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> it will it's, be it's randomly on, it's given on away my... again. <laughs> no, it's it's actually on my work computer. I have it saved mm. on my work computer, but not my home laptop. That's so what they I'm, all say. I'm so sorry. You know what? He's like backpedaling, backpedaling, backpedaling. We a lot of cool stuff on the podcast before. I, uh, but anyways, so if you're interested in winning an Indominus box for this month, the month of July, go ahead and sign up for Patreon. All our patrons get entrance into a free drawing for that box and maybe we'll give away something else too maybe like a general's tome or what the the whatever it's called the, the chapter proof plus pack. the munitorum field manual and whatever. the uh, yeah. gt tournament pack the gt tournament pack thank you so much uh but anyways grand tournament 2020 i think that's what the yeah something is. like that and then the munitorum field manual which is the points. i must say grand tournament the end of the world apocalypse edition mm. And then finally, one other announcement. If you're interested in gaming, specifically gaming in the old world of fantasy, that's right, Warmer Fantasy, Vermintide, and Total War, we do streams for both games. We've been streaming on weekends to the patrons, been streaming Total War, Warhammer, or Vermintide. And then also myself, Val, who isn't on this podcast, uh, and Peter make regular appearances on the Honest Wargamer, Honest Wargamer Rob's channel. Um, so if you're interested in more goodness and maybe if you want to see some of our bright and beautiful faces, head on over to that. Go to twitch.tv.com slash the honest board gamer. All did, right. Uh, you saw that they announced his new T-Sports tournament they did. It's, thing? Yes. That looks cool. Uh, it does look cool. I'm always super wary when it comes to any um, tabletop sports announcements like that because it, they haven't been great in the past. For, for example, um, the Atlanta Open last year um not to throw any shade uh they did a good job um they were also they bought flg mats and stuff so their partner their business partner they haven't announced anything for their event um for this year and so i don't know what the deal is there um and every time i've seen people kind of like go up and do something cool like this more esports related 40k stuff um it's usually there's more misses than hits so I, I'm i've very got faith in rob he's been doing I, it for a while he's been rob in the game knows what he's doing He's been in the game, as they say. 
Yeah. So not throwing shade, Rob. I wish you all the luck. I'm definitely going to be tuned in. Some would and... say he's even honestly doing it. Mm. <laughs> I'm really curious about his band list. That is going to shake things up uh, depending on how they do that. That uh, is going to be yeah. a unique aspect of their tournaments. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, super cool. Um, keep on for that. Uh, I certainly wish him the best luck in doing that. And I'm super excited um, to see that actually come into fruition. But anyways, that's it. Let's go ahead and jump right into the meat of the episode, the thing you all listeners came for, and that is the Psychic Awakening rankings. And so a uh, couple of quick questions, or I guess answered questions um, to this ranking list. First and foremost... Uh, I understand that a lot of you are probably going to go in there and say, hey, we should have ranked it by faction. Yeah, probably true, except I didn't want to be here for several hours talking about every single faction that Psycho Awakening did and didn't touch. Well, well I, I, touch your, uh, I wanted to. to PTPopsPersonalEmail.com <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to do it, but it, Pablo it, didn't. It would be a lot. And, and I also think that if we did it that way, it's a bit of a cop-out. Because when you break it down by faction, the book's... The, the list kind of writes itself, right? Because I also tried to do it by faction too because I thought maybe, you know, maybe we could do it that way. And when I did it, I was just like, oh, this is pretty this is pretty easy. And also, we don't have an idea of what, how these factions perform in 9th edition. However, with Psychic Awakening, the goal of this episode is more to let people know who are interested in buying a Psychic Awakening book what how much bang they're going to get for their buck. For instance, the first Psychic Awakening book, which is also the worst Psychic Awakening book, I would not recommend you buying at all. Um, and that is, according to our criteria, uh, a book that is, we're looking at only its match play rules, so we're not looking at narrative stuff. Uh, we're not a bunch of fluff bunnies on this podcast. Uh, actually, we are. We just don't like to admit it publicly. So Magnus did everything wrong. <laughs> um, so we're, we're looking at the match play rules for the Psychic Awakening books. Uh, we're also looking at their overall... Uh, the overall boost they give to the respective factions in their book. So if you're a person who owns two factions in one Psychic Awakening book, this podcast would be for you. If you're also someone who's interested to know how GW uh, works or how GW did in their game design uh, of specific Psychic Awakening books, this is also a podcast for you. So it's going to be a lot more generalized, focused on the overall themes of the books, um, which is part of the criteria. Uh, and just to give you a quick list of the criteria we used, uh, we, we went off their match play rules, we went off the themes of the factions that they used, how well they they boosted those themes. So for instance, for shooty factions, how well did they make them shooty? How how many unique things they added to books? Uh, the rules, the stratagems, the free warlord traits, the free stuff that, that most factions got in the Psychic Awakening books. And then finally, where the factions in the book stand now currently going into 9th edition. So we're not going to talk about so much about their 8th edition presence, um, which is Part of the reason why I think a couple of these books are going to maybe upset some people. Um, but as all opinions go, everyone is entitled to their own. So, of course, if you want to go into that comment section on YouTube, on FrontlineGaming.org, or anywhere else where you found this podcast, and give us your ranking or your top three or bottom three of the Psychic Awakening books and your thoughts, I love to hear them. I do read all those comments. Don't comment to all of them, but I do definitely read them all. And so, let us know. And with that, I think we can jump right into it. Peter, Scary, do you have any questions? Well, you know what they say. Everybody has an opinion. They like farts. Everybody does it, and sometimes they smell. Mm, I don't know if that's true. Astute. <laughs> but All fine. Right. This uh, is oh, a uh, fun, family-friendly podcast. 
And one final thing, uh, Peter and I both have uh, our own separate lists. However, I also asked the patrons what they thought, asked them to make a top three list. And a lot of patrons went above and beyond and made a full list. And I also emailed out um, a questionnaire to some top players in the ITC. Uh, I didn't get a ton of responses back, but I did get enough responses to kind of get a feel for how top players looked at Psychic Awakening. Um, So I definitely feel like I have like the top three and the bottom three, like for sure. Um, and there's only nine, so those middle three, I think there's going to be a lot of arguing there. But um, I don't think anyone can argue with at least the bottom three. But we'll see, of course. Um, yeah, I people... think you're right. Yeah, but but anyway, so I did do research here. Um, unfortunately, don't know as much about other Psycho Wicked books as other ones, because I obviously am with, have my own biases, and I don't own every army, and I don't play every army. So uh, that's why I brought on Skari and Peter. So. Yep. We're going to jump right into it with the worst book, the number ninth ranked Psychic Awakening book on the Chapter Tactics podcast Ten. list. Oh, the I guess nine. You're right. Ninth. Well, we're not counting White Dwarf supplements. Okay, no. You know that what? Counts. Let's do it. That counts. That I'm counts. doing it right it now. It totally counts. <laughs> so, okay. So we've got an Let's honor- not place them. Let's yeah, not place them. Honorable players, Holocron players, we got your backs, okay? <laughs> so here's Pablo the thing. here was saying that you were not worth it. We're it's saying true. <laughs> that So you first are. off, a magazine is a book. It's okay. in the definition, guys. Just get over it. It's a messed We're up style that. book, but sure. It's a book. It's got covers. It's put together. Death Watch, they made them slightly more competitive because all they really needed was the base Space Marine stuff, but it was lazy and poor writing because they didn't give them anything than that they like anything special. So Death Watch, pff, F, garbage. You're fired. Harlequins, spectacular. Amazing. amazing. Somehow... In this, in a, in the same format, they took a, they took these guys and like a minus, super great, maybe not as great in ninth, we'll see. But from an eighth edi- late late ed- eighth edition perspective, holy guacamole, Harlequins are amazing. The <laughs> end. Now let's move. Pablo, go. Okay, so number ninth, I think you all see it coming. It's the Psychic Awakening book most fresh in our minds, and it's actually the ninth Psychic Awakening book released, Psychic Awakening Pariah. So uh, it's it's here's the thing, right? So if you're unfamiliar, Psych Wickening Pariah had rules for Inquisition, um, an already much maligned, kind of uh, forgotten about faction mm-hmm. by GW, and uh, had rules for Necrons. However, not Necrons plural, mm, uh, a, a Necron. single Necron, a a Necron. Um, it's also I think a YouTuber oh. said it was like thirty pages, like. Like something in some insignificant amount of pages. Yes, and and it had <laughs> oh, a sorry, rule for a pages. harlequin that you cannot take with harlequins. Yes, um, and a sister of battle that you can take with anybody. Um, that's Imperium. Yes, but overall, <laughs> not good. Because um, can I can I say a couple things about Pariah? Sure, sure, sure. So I was super excited to get Lord Inquisitor, um, she elf dragon mage. Oh my god, you mean you mean a poor woman's uh Xenos Inquisitor uh Valeria? Yes, cuz she looked super cool and they kind of the way they described her paralysis grenades, I was like into it. I was like, "Yes, Custo- my custodies need a CP bank more than anything. I need something to generate CP for me, and it's a Xenos Inquisitor'll do it." So they come out with Pariah, they release the Lord Inquisitor. And what she gets radical for a warlord trait, GW? Radical? <laughs> Eisenhorn has radical. You did it once. Ugh. 
I don't I don't even know what to think. Like you I had one got, job. I think she got what she deserved personally. Um so I'm gonna go I'm gonna hop on a soapbox here right quick and it's got Inquisitor Valeria's name etched <laughs> into the soapbox and pretty roses and floral patterns. So if you're unfamiliar we're going to get into some fluff real quick. Inquisitor Valeria was the first model I ever kit-bashed. She was mm-hmm. so cool. She was in the old old Grey Knights 5th Edition Codex as one of the Inquisitors. And she was, stop me when this starts to sound familiar, a radical Xenos Inquisitor with cool tech that she used to fight Xenos with. Mm-hmm. A radical female Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a pet, although mm-hmm. it wasn't a pet dragon thing. But uh, you know, it's, it's pretty cool, I'm not going to lie. She ran into an encounter with an ancient Necron person, yes. in the Infinite, uh, and got spurred by him and tricked by him and um, was later killed by fucking some dumb... The, the, the one with the crossbow. Yeah, p- potty language. Excuse me. The one with the Inquisitor with the crossbow. Uh, Greyfax. <laughs> Greyfax, yes. thank Grayfax you. Greyfax killed her. In, like, two sentences of content on the very old, um, the Gilliman, uh, book novel that came out at the uh, end. The of... romance one, right? Gilliman and, um, uh, yes. And, and Averain, yeah. Averain, yes. Those, mo- those models. I completely am blanking the name on here. The point is, is that how dare GW create yeah. this beautiful model that, that mm-hmm. actually that, didn't like, have that dragon a model, that looks but... cool. It does. Completely sure. related sure. that. Sure, I agree. I agree. But how dare they create this character and when they had a perfectly beloved, awesome Inquisitor character mm-hmm. already in the fluff. That Pablo? PD Pop had a model built. I for feel us. for you. And here's here's the other thing for Necron players. So Necron players know that they are getting probably the first codex for ninth. So this helped sting the sting a little bit that they got one model. <laughs> it's a book called Pariah. Necrons have a unit that hasn't seen like anything, because GW kind of deleted it from existence, except in novels, because it's been in several um, for like years now, called the Pariah. Why not just at least give them that? Throw it in. Here's your rules for the Necron Pariah in the Pariah book. It's like a nail on the head, bammo whammo done. But instead, we get one dude who's got a really awesome model, by the way. I would give him that. It's super cool. Cool fluff, but <laughs> why would you? Why? Why would you do this? And here's the here's the top. Here's what makes this a book in general an F for me. F with like like a F minus maybe is they do all this, and then they change the rule for agents of the Imperium in this book, a rule that they had put in the previous Psychic Awakening. So they changed it like from one Psychic Awakening to the other. War of the Spider. Um, had this had an agent of the Imperium rule. So now you can only take one agent of the Imperium per detachment. I don't like that because I wanted to run two. And now you're making me make a choice. And while I understand competitively that sounds fun, it makes me, Peter Colosimo, very sad. Hmm. So there. That's well, something. you need a ying to the yang. You need a radical one and a puritan. Well, right? I wanted an inquisitor and an assassin. And now I have to take two detachments. I don't know what to think. Boo. F. <laughs> F. In- it, yeah. Inquisition rules, C minus, everything else, F minus, boo, GW. Boo. Yeah, yeah they definitely could have. This I, is your boo. I, I feel like it would have been better if they had just introduced like a new unit 
and uh, and I guess a cool a cool new um Eliminor Sarah's model. Yeah. Um, and then and just pariahs. like told everyone, hey, sorry, actual bros. pariahs. Yes, sure, actual pariahs. That's what I meant by the new unit. You know, maybe another cool Inquisitor unit. Maybe another awesome Xenos female Inquisitor named Helena Valeria. I think all that would have definitely made this book a lot better. But more importantly, I think GW should have communicated, hey, Necrons, don't look forward to this book. <laughs> You're getting ninth edition stuff. So so chill, homies. Which they have done in the past. If you remember yeah. with Psychic or with Chapter Approved, uh, the very first Chapter Approved, they were like, okay, guys. Or and gals, okay, yeah. people, GW, GW customers, we're not going to get rules for astromilitarum units and for space marines because they just got their codexes. So don't expect that in chapter approved. Yep. But space wolves players, you better hang on to this chapter approved like it's your bible because you're not getting a codex for another year and a half. <laughs> yeah. That's that's literally. I, I don't think that that's verbatim. Uh, it's essentially what they said. But yes. that is what they said, and I thought that level of foresight was really cool. Um, and they didn't do that with this, which I would have liked. Would have led some expectation. Anyways, prize bad. It's don't buy it. Um, look up the rules online on the buy official it if you GW like, app. Um, if you like fluff, fluff and if you like uh, Ephrael Stern. Uh, also Ephrael like Stern, cool missions and stuff. Like if you're an arrow player who likes that, you know, also we would never encourage you to pirate GW content. No, yeah, but their, their app, well, like I was going to say before you two rudely cut me off, hey. uh, their app <laughs> we're, is probably we're Crusaders in the name of uh, IP. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I would I would wait for, I, if I, I were you all personally listening, I would wait to buy this book, um, the rules for the models in this book, when the GW app comes out, mm. if the rule, those rules ever come out, or if you have a buddy, um, just like ask him, like, hey, dude, I know you bought chap or I know you bought like Waiting Pariah, can I just take a quick picture of these few like two pages i'm told right. that if you text mike brandt he will give you a discount code for the app oh oh text him his number is 888-888-8888 you can just facebook message him he loves it i'm sure <laughs> anyways anyways moving on uh to number eight uh now this book is um i think the first of the real psychic awakening books and i actually would have put it in number eight when it first came out and then I waited patiently to see if it would, if any other book would usurp its status. And in my opinion, none did. Uh, this is Psychic Awakening Phoenix Rising. Now, after this book, you're going to notice a trend of Psychic Awakening books uh, where they're actually not bad. They actually help the respective factions. And I think overall, with the exception of these bottom two books, GW did a really good job with the factions in the books and balancing them and improving them. The problem I have with Phoenix Rising and I know Scarry and, and Peter have a lot to say about this, um, is that it felt very vanilla to me. It felt very, it felt like a weaker, watered-down version of the Space Marine treatment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it felt very um, unspirited, you know, not creative. Um, and I don't know if this was because it was the first Psychic Awakening book, um, because it was, uh, or maybe GW was worried about making Eldar too powerful or dark eldar too powerful which they certainly were especially at the beginning of eighth edition both factions were um or if maybe they thought that neither of those factions needed a lot which which i disagree with i think both those factions right now are in desperate need of a, a better psychic quickening book um but it's just bleh it's just a bleh book um scary and peter scary um, you go first i've got a lot to say but I, this is like your stuff so 
Yeah, so Psychic Awakening, you know, be, being that the, the, I think there was there's like a, a good and a bad and the ugly of this. The good is that because it was like the first Psychic Awakening book that really kind of like came out, it didn't matter what was in it. We were just excited. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think that's kind of like it, it's only been like in retrospect with all these other books getting additional like cool stratagems and gearing up for ninth edition with like a pages and pages of one CP stratagems that here I'm mm-hmm. sitting with like my old set of stratagems being like, man, Vector's awesome, but four to CPs to one CP. Like, ah, okay, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, I have to like manage my CP better where you can literally go, yes, start of the turn. I get my one CP and I can use my really cool psychic awakening stratagem, this one CP, you know, so I can see how like the newer psychic awakening books were definitely designed and published with more like ninth edition in mind. Now I will say that this did go hand in hand with the release of the full, like, uh, phoenix rising like box set mm-hmm. and like a whole bunch of like new kits and models and stuff which in the future will allow gw to essentially give us new rules for you know howling banshees or you know update like rules of stuff and out of it did come drazar which has been a staple in my list since the release of that book and has been an absolute boss so even just the addition of that one model as well as some really cool like like combos with like well it kind of to be honest it brought the resurgence of eldar a little bit with like mm-hmm. you know when you started having like expert crafters and masterful shots and and eldar sort of did see this resurgence kind of like a bird rising from the ashes a a, a phoenix of some sort oh, wow so what i'll say is that if you look at phoenix rising for um in terms of eighth edition and when it came out um it failed Drukari pretty miserably. We only ever saw um, um, dark technomancers and experimental creations um, being used. Um, you never saw any of the Cabal stuff. Um, you saw occasionally experimental creations, dark technomancers being used up essentially to make Venoms better more than anything else. Um, and then Berserk Fugue and Test of Skill on Witches saw occasional play. But you saw nothing else out of that second awakening for Drukari. So it's like probably the worst if not one of the worst for a particular faction in that they dedicated so many pages to to garbage um and ari um basically got nothing other than points decreases which was fine um except you know i'm quite sure that the the like three remaining Inari players really wanted something else um but uh, like sky was saying this did at the time at least make eldar probably the second best faction outside of space marines um they went from having to rely almost solely on flyer spam lists to having like two or three um, really quality high table um, event lists. One being the um, expert crafters, masterful shots, um, like Mechdar lists that we saw quite a bit and perform very well. They had like a 54% win rate um, at one point, and that was in an Iron Hands meta. Um, it just so happened that Iron Hands and Imperial Fists were sitting at like seventy, so it really skewed everything else out of the out of the water. People uh, tended to not notice that. Um, and then later on, we saw these like old school Eldar and Ariesque lists where people were running the um, Treasure Hunters or whatever it was on um, Shining Spears again. Uh, so they started to see a lot more play. Um, so like Eldar did get a, a good amount out of this book to the point where they were. If you know if Marines didn't exist, they were probably the broken faction. Um, 
because they could just kill everything uh, before you could do anything except Marines. Um, but as things have gone on, we've like I think you guys are correct in that this was a book that was more built to try and make factions similar to Marines without an understanding of how powerful they had made Marines. Um, and not so much preparing for ninth edition, which is, you know, now that we're this far and this is where we're, we're at, is like, how does this impact their prep for ninth? And I'm not sure it's good enough. Mm-mm. So I think, are we all in agreement, eighth eighth place for Psychic Awakening Phoenix Rising? As much as it pains me, I would have to agree. Like I, I would say it's that, close. Yeah, I, I'd I say would... this one and the next one are interchangeable. Yeah, Ooh, I, w- I, I wish that I could literally grab like a Cabal, like custom obsession and be like, compete with like cabal of black heart for a detachment you know what i mean yeah. like it which yeah. is just not the case and i only um, say they're interchangeable because of how strong eldar came out of this um okay that's well, all l- let's talk about did. that's a that's a great transition peter so um i actually disagree with you but this is where in my opinion the list starts to get really interesting because the psychic waiting books from this point on are really good uh in a vacuum um i think they did a lot for their respective factions um relatively uh to other things gw has done for those factions um and so number seven is psychic awakening saga of the beast so this one was an interesting one um there's weren't a lot of reviews for it and there's a good reason why this is the first psychic awakening to be released in the middle of COVID. this actually got released right the the weekend before GW shut down their warehouse. So what that means is, or the weekend after GW shut their warehouse, which which means was uh, there was this weird period where uh, if you don't know how GW orders work uh, for a retail store, you place your order, you can place your order either before the weekend, you you pre-order the item or pre-sell the item or after the weekend, right? So when an item goes for, for pre-order, you make your weekend sales and you can either place your pre-order before that, so the Friday or the Thursday before, or the Monday after. The problem was, was GW closed their warehouse on Saturday. Just boom, GW warehouse closed. So if you were one of those people who placed your pre-orders numbers before, you got your pre-order number in, but you didn't get all of the Psychic Awakening uh, Saga of the Beast boxes or Prophecy of the Wolf boxes that you ordered. You only got whatever GW could allocate you before their warehouse closed down. And if you ordered after that, GW told you, Sorry, kick rocks, bud. Our warehouse is closed. Which is, to be fair, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be so mean. They, I think they made the right decision in closing their warehouse um, to stop the spread of COVID and you know protect the health and safety of their warehouse workers. I, th- I think that that was very admirable. But what ended up happening was uh, we couldn't order Psychic Awakening books, the Saga of the Beast, or Prophecy of the Wolf boxes for months. For it was like a month and a half, right? Like all of all of April or all of May, some of June. It was it was bad, right? So I think that impacted Saga of the Beast a little bit in terms of my research for it. I don't, and we also didn't see anything from Space Wolves and Orc players either. There were definitely no tournaments going on. People were kind of not really talking about 40k. So I don't know if Saga of the Beast should be ranked higher. Um, I did actually read through the book. It was the only book I read through almost front to back uh, doing research for this. All the others I kind of just went online and listened to YouTube videos and looked at reviews because I kind of already had a feel for what they were. But um, I just, I didn't like it. It was, it was not great. Um, what are your two thoughts on, on it? And then I, I'm going to expand a little bit on that. I think that the lack of tournaments for a lot of these books actually will skew like what 
we think is good or not because we're most of what we're doing is like people either testing it on like tabletop simulator over the last like four months mm -hmm. or you know just like theory hammering it where a lot of the time we know if something's really good and or bad because it goes to tournaments and performs and shows mm -hmm. us what it does and a lot of the times you can talk and talk and talk but you know a lot of the stuff didn't really get like any sort of didn't get any traction in that sense but even then um generally when when we see like the best stuff will almost inevitably show up really early and then it's just how does it get modified afterwards um what we've seen with a lot of these codexes with a lot of these psychic awakenings and l later codexes was um they come out and almost immediately like your top players are like oh this combo's good this combo's good this combo's good and then they kind of evolve it to a certain point um, sometimes things get changed because of FAQs, etc. But there'll there'll always be a lot of buzz. Like when we talk later about greater good, the amount of buzz over Farsight Enclaves um, was enormous, and it didn't see a lot of tournament tournament play because it was the last book before COVID. Um, but like all the talk from top players was Tau is probably the best army in the game now. Um, we didn't hear that from Song of the Beast, and I think it's because orcs didn't get a ton. Space Wolves did, but it's hard to balance like if they got enough to be better than other power armor factions. Because Space Wolves um, got a ton of really good stuff out of this. They were in a constant battle for like a year and a half um, at, uh, to be the worst faction, um, per, like stats-wise, in 40k. It was always like this running battle between Dark Angels, Space Wolves, Blood Angels and Grey Knights, and like they constantly flip flopped at the bottom. Th those four factions, um, constantly in the 30 30th percentile rate uh, for uh, win rates. Um, Space Wolves, the only faction that got a codex and had their win rates drop afterwards. <laughs> um, and it wasn't because the codex was bad; it was because it wasn't good enough to make them uh, to put them where they needed to be. It was just good enough to get more people to play them, right? Like so now it's all these people are playing a codex that isn't up to par, and it drops their numbers. So like space wolves get a ton out of this they put out a ton of attacks now um impulsor spam lists are super scary we saw a lot of theory crafting about it um brad chester i believe did put up some good results at um some like tabletop simulator events with them um he talked them up quite a bit and yeah like they are definitely a, a scary army on paper but it wasn't to like like the combos require more steps than a lot of the other very powerful factions we've seen where it's like okay all i need to do is pop these two stratagems on this unit and now it does infinite damage this is more like if i get these impulsors in this place and then i do this and then i do this then ragnar can come out and he'll have 16 attacks and you'll probably kill that whole imp uh, intercessor unit so that's where i am um with this where we didn't get that buzz orcs did get some stuff um and i think orcs are uh, got stuff that'll help them more in ninth than it helped them in eighth um like the bernababa uh, auto explode um was cute and could do some pretty uh, exciting things you could combo it off for these massive explosions um in eighth uh, but we never really got to see it see play in ninth where a lot of people are talking about msu that has a lot more uh, validity to it where now you can uh, you know bomb somebody auto explode your burn a bomba into an MSU, uh, MSU unit on an objective and kill it with the triple mortal wounds over a giant area and uh, you're living the dream um their psychic abilities they got out of it um especially evil sons and um death skulls super good that's yeah the death skulls the psychic power the the um, additional ap um against yeah, the target yeah. something very so good, good. 
And um, the mobs, the Gretchen mob, spectacular in eighth. We'll have to see how it does in ninth. But um, some of the mobs are very good. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I agree that we didn't see enough of it in action to be sure. But I would feel, based off of the, like, lack of... Explosive talk on the on, on the like competitive side of the internet about these guys, that that this is probably where they should be, um, if if only for those reasons where you know generally if there's a really exciting build everybody talks about it right away, um, and we didn't really get that out of this book, even with COVID in mind. Scar, do you have anything else to add to that? No, sir. Okay, so I agree. I agree with you, Peter. Um, uh, I I do think that the space wolves from from the way I wrote down in my notes I I wrote that they got the space marine treatment yeah. and that's it and it really it really to me kind of felt that way they, it brought them in line with the rest of the space marine codexes so they got like the veteran intercessor stratagem and they got access to all the cool stuff and I believe their sergeants can carry thunder hammers which is actually really good space wolf veteran sergeant um, well intercessor, the fact that they can hammers. get up to like seven eight attacks yeah. each um, yeah, with like, very little buffs crazy. It's very, very good for Space Wolves. It's it's always been like getting them to their target. Um, getting yes. a six-inch heroic intervention stratagem, just like Blood Angels also got, amazing. Like those things, um, if you can combo everything together, Space Wolves do have a competitive right. army now, and it is because of their Psychic Awakening that this happened. Yeah. Um, it's just, did, it, was it as much as, as what everybody else got? And I think it's hard to say because we never got to see it like you said um but the talk wasn't there as much as other armies so so where i actually kind of had them put was kind of like where salamanders were maybe slightly better than salamanders i think they're better than salamanders for now but but they to me they played like salamanders in that uh they were like the close combat version of salamanders salamanders had to get up close and shoot you space wolves felt like they had to get up close and like to like punch you the difference being is space wolves get access to a lot better stuff than salamanders do yeah but i i liken them more to white scars i think they are basically them and white scars they play a very similar game um in that like uh, it tends to be get stuff into impulsors that hits stupid hard if you can get it all together um, they can protect their impulsors a little better than white scars can because of psychic powers, but white scars are much faster. Yep. So it's yeah, um, it, it's def it's a it, it's a it's a good book. Um, yeah, and I think that's another thing here is that I don't think there's a giant separation like you kind of said in the middle. Um, even this book is not terribly worse than the other ones. The more I think about it. Um, but it's be- but like I like I'm trying to say some most of these Psych Awakening books did one or two factions a ton of justice and another one didn't really get the same love. This this one yeah um this one I think that the faction that got the more more love the orcs um didn't get the right kind of love the mm-hmm. orcs needed they got more of like fluffy goodness like yeah, it, yeah. They, they feel more orky but they lose they lost out on like the power the like the raw power that Space Wolves got yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, overall, I think we're in agreement about this book. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on to uh, the number, my number six. Um, and this one is one I think that we'll get a lot of controversy about, a lot of dissension. Um, but it's like a, it's the same argument for me why this book is in its place is the same reason why Phoenix Rising is number eight, and that I felt the book was very vanilla. But there were some things in the book that definitely made everyone go like, oh my god, this is overpowered. And that's Psychic Awakening Faith and Fury for the sixth ranked Psychic Awakening book. 
So I know people are probably thinking this is probably a little low. Um, let me just justify why I have it at this ranking, and then we'll talk about it. Um, so first and foremost, it did feel very vanilla to me. Uh, once you take away the Space Marine Chaplain stratagem, or just all the Space Marine stratagems in general, I don't think it did a lot for Chaos Space Marines. I think it gave Chaos Space Marines cool stuff and free stuff, but it, it left Black Templars in like this weird spot. Like They look around, they're like, Space Wolf buddies, Blood Angels buddies, like you all got better and we got nothing. We they got, got devout push. Uh, yeah, mo- anyways. Like, one of the best stratagems in the game, but it's attached to basically the worst combination of other stuff. If you were if you were writing this list at the beginning of when the Psychic Awakening book started getting released, Faith and Fury probably would have been a lot higher. But um, as they as you know, we got really more amazing books that were more holistic and and consistent in their buffs towards their respective factions. I just felt like Faith and Fury. I just felt like I kept pushing it more and more down. Um, and even as a Space Marine player, like I, th- I just don't think this book's impact is worth a lot. It just definitely doesn't justify um, you buying it. I think that you could probably just um, read what the stratagem does. Um, you know, even go to I, a Warhammer community page I'm, article. I'm going to disagree and... with that. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I Let's feel it. I feel it's it it has it has merit, a lot of merit actually. The mm-hmm. like Faith and Fury should be higher on this list. I feel like you know because of Faith and Fury, we got the possessed bomb as we know it. Mm-hmm. You know, we got the Iron Hands um, ridiculous intercessor spam as we know it. We mm-hmm. got you know the crazy Imperial Fist artillery hit on twos thing as we know it or any other artillery thing thanks to the decorian yep. buffs mm-hmm. right i think i think there's a lot to be said with the impact that this psychic awakening book had on the meta and then mm-hmm. this ranking does not reflect that that's that's well said um i certainly don't disagree with you scary uh the only thing i might say to play devil's advocate to that is that um, if we were ranking lvo impact um, books or LVO meta impact books. This one would be number one. Um, but now that we're so far removed from it, I don't know. But that's why that's why we have opinions and rankings. Everyone, uh, Peter, what are your thoughts? I I see what you're trying, <laughs> what you're saying, Pablo. So I understand why you ranked it low, and I can see the validity of other ones being ranked higher. I agree with Scary in that I do believe in this situation it should be ranked higher, if only because it drastically impacted the way the game is played. It took a faction that had been broken, people thought it might have been fixed, and made it broken again um, in Space Marines because the Master Apothecary, the um, Master Apothecary, the Master of Sanctity, and the uh, Super Tech Marine uh, Mech Boy Doodleface um, were, just, the Forge. were just super fantastic. Like they, they were, they had game-breaking abilities attached to them um, for minimal uh, opportunity cost. Um, I mean, like the immediate uproar about the two plus. Um, ballistic skill thing uh, the plus one to ballistic skill from the tech marine if they had kept the tech marine on bike as an option w- was alone worth it i mean there were people saying like they needed to ban it at lvo if it happened um luckily it got legended just before um but like it was an extremely powerful book and like scary said it did also open up the possessed bomb by putting together this like the just right amount of uh, buffs that you could apply to a single unit to make it absolutely um, 
like impossible uh, to deal with if it got into your lines. I mean, all of chaos, I would say probably what, 60% of chaos lists at LVO and since have been based around the possessed bomb or how do I keep making the possessed bomb work coming into ninth edition, uh, right? Because like, what else does chaos have? Um, Faith and Fury, when it first came out, did have a lot of excitement because Night Lords did have a lot of crazy abilities. Alpha Legion did as well. Um, I th- I think Faith and Fury was a better book than we're putting it, but maybe not no, by a fair. lot. Maybe that's not fair. by a lot. I think it had a, a gigantic impact to the game, and we can't um, overrate that. Mm. Um, Good and, stuff. And it will still be used in ninth edition, if only because you know the Father of the Future is still a thing, and Five Plus and uh, Feel No Pain Iron Hands is very disgusting to deal with. All right, so. There's already dissension in the ranks, which is fitting for the next book we talk about. Uh, now, this one is, I'd say that it's the biggest tale of two books, um, whereas it, it really feels like a brand new codex for one faction. Mm-hmm. And for the other two factions, they're just there. Um, and that's a Psychic Awakening Ritual of the Damned. So I have Psychic Awakening Ritual of the Damned at number five. Um, and just as a quick recap... The things that this book did for Grey Knights cannot be understated. Like, just, it literally, I think they were, like Peter said, they were circling for the worst faction, but for six editions, or not, I'm sorry, not six editions, since sixth edition, um, with the exception of Draco stars, Grey Knights have been an absolute laughing stock. They hadn't had their time in the sun. Uh, Fifth edition, they was when you know their moment to shine. They had some okay lists in the beginning of eighth edition, um, some Imperium lists, but uh, you know th- that was Index era, so it was already kind of like like not guaranteed to last. And then they very quickly fell down into their seventh edition form, last placing events, uh, people trying to go three and three with them. But Ritual of the Dam happened, and holy crap! Like th- I think this is the first book. Were, or the first Warhammer community releases where I could safely say like a faction was better just based off of the Warhammer community pages. Like normally the meme is like wait for wait for the rest of the rules before you freak out everyone. But when Ritual of the Damned rules dropped for Grey Knights, I thought, well, I mean, I think everyone's I think everyone's reacting appropriately. Yeah, it was good. So, so let's talk about this, um, Peter and Scary. What what are your thoughts on Ritual of the Damned? Ritual of the Damned made Grey Knights effing scary, man. Like, I went to, so just before the lockdowns happened in COVID, the Berry Bash uh, happened, and Grey Knights ended up taking that event. But it wasn't just that, it was how well Grey Knights just did in, like, the tournament ITC format. Just in general, they were just, it was like they were built to play a you can't kill me and I score all the points kind of game. So it definitely was, uh, you know, it was it, that that book put, was had such an impact on the meta. It's very like, I think, I honestly think it, it, it would compete with the, nec- the next book in, the, in our list. Yeah, I would say from a Grey Knights perspective, it was incredible. Um, because Grey Knights went from one of the worst factions in the game to probably the second best, maybe even at times the best if it was played right. Um, because like the tides were so good, they were very flavorful as well. 
um, it wasn't a direct copy paste like we've seen with other power armor factions from like the Space Marine Codex. So it really felt good. I will argue that as time has gone by, I think um, it falls into maybe a problem that also the Chaos Marine book fell into, where it really only created one list. Um, because like it, Grey Knights are very strong, but they seem to be entirely reliant on Paladins to be that strong. And we haven't really seen anyone be able to compete without using one or two Paladin bombs as like the core of their list. Um, so we have to see like how points work to see how Grey Knights move into ninth edition. If Paladins are still pointed well, then like it's incredible. But how do they perform without that Paladin crutch is something that'll be interesting. Um, in terms of the other uh, guys in Psychic Awake, in terms of Ritual of the Damned, like Thousand Sons, they got new, they got chapters, but all they got out of them was like, a warlord trait um, and uh, psychic power, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, and like some of them are really good. Cult of Duplicity is fantastic, and Cult of Magic is like an auto take for most of those um, supreme commands. So they saw immediate play because it was essentially free. So that's great. Um, Thousand Sons were already good. Um, and, uh, so a couple, a couple of extra bonuses there, not bad. It definitely took an army that was good and made them uh, a little more competitive in that particular time frame. Now coming into ninth edition, um, there is something to be said for having scarable cult terminators that you can basically teleport into the middle of the board immediately. Um, so that's pretty solid. Dark angels, the, the other faction, I think they started off great and then they felt too much of a punch from the Iron Hands Imperial Fist nerf. Um. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Like, so I think initially Although, they were like a B rating with, and then they got dropped because of that. With, with Dark Angels, though, there are some like, there's some really good solid bits that build still in parts of that Psychic Awakening with relics and combinations, in, especially in combination with stuff like Space Wolves that I've really seen do well, you know, yep. over the over the COVID months. So th they still have some kick to it. They definitely do. And I mean, um, the the like the new Outriders, they've confirmed a Ravenwing. So that's going to be interesting to see how they can uh, get juiced up by the strats that Ravenwing have access to. Deathwing Knights are terrifying no matter what. And now in a game where the midboard's easier to get to um, and, and all the buffs that you can apply to them, they've definitely got a shot there. Their flyers are always incredible. And now they don't take any penalties to shooting for moving. So that's always going to be good. Like there are good things there, but I think in terms of like the Psychic Awakening bonuses for Dark Angels, the big thing they got a couple of the big things they got, I should say, were almost immediately taken away because they had because they kind of got the the aftershock of the nerf to Iron Hands and Imperial Fists to make them feel playable. Mm -hmm. um, so Dark Angels took a huge hit from that, and it's just whether they can come out of that um, any better, um, which will be interesting to see. Yeah, I th I agree with both of you. Um, I, I I think that uh, the Dark Angels stuff. Even with the nerfs, which the Devastator Doctrine nerf was act actually hit them pretty bad. Um, 
and I still think that they're probably in like the top three worst Space Marine factions, which isn't a terrible place to be in a power rankings. But overall, the reason why I put them in number five was I felt like the Grey Knights, what they got in terms of their impact was huge. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's actually one Grey Knight list. I actually think there's multiple Grey Knight lists. We just haven't found them yet. Um, they had enough still... time. They had it... enough time. Uh, all right. Maybe well, in maybe, ninth maybe they'll not. have. Maybe in ninth they'll have something new. But right. over the time we had in inked with them, which was you know enough, we basically saw two lists, and they were the same list. It was just whether you took a lot more paladins or terminators, mm-hmm. but everything else about them was the same. Yeah, those are those are the two lists I was thinking of. But um, that's why I have it at number five. Um, I think what they did for Grey Knights was huge. Um, even if they made Grey Knights like Necron one trick good, um, just the fact that they brought Grey Knights from where they were to where they are now. Oh, yeah. um, I think that alone makes it worth picking up. Uh, if you're a Green Knight player, definitely pick this book up. Probably uh, most if... improved faction with a oh, yeah. Psychic Awakening. Absolutely. Singular. Yeah, and then um, if you're a Dark Angels of Thousands player, I actually think this book is worth getting. Um, less so for uh, Thousand Suns players. And if you're a Dark Angels player and you like the Deathwing Ravenwing stratagem and dichotomy and all that cool stuff, um, definitely pick up this book. Uh, but overall, that's kind of why I have it ahead of Faith and Fury. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to number four. So number four is, I think, m- m- my most underrated Psycho Waking book. This is the one where um, I talk about it and people go like, "This, you're crazy. Like, that's not good. And I'm like, but actually both factions in the book got a lot of cool buffs. So uh, number four is Psychic Awakening Blood of Ball. I've got a special place in, in my heart for this one. Um, I do have a Blood Angel's ultramarines army i have like sanguinary guard and death company um a lot of them are painted in ultramarines themes but i do like blood angels and i always have kind of liked the feel of blood angels so i I thought that them getting i think that they got the best space marine uh space marine buff or um space marining out of all the dark angel space wolves and um actually just those two um so i think they got the best space marine treatment and also tyranids this is the first book where we saw GW actually start to flex their their uh, creative muscles. Uh, the, I thought the Tyranids, the the mutations that you could give to Tyranid units, I thought that was brilliantly done. I, I, th- I liked a lot of the new stuff that they got, the stratagems, the relics. Um, and overall, I just think the Blood of Ball was just solid for both factions. Uh, Blood Angels became uh, a lot better. They were already not terrible. Um, they became a lot better. They got some cool, unique stuff. Um, and then Tyranids, I I really feel a lot of power coming from that codex. I just don't think they have the player base or the top-level player suit to play them to really take advantage of them. Um, and I think they're both geared well going into ninth edition. I think Tyranids and Blood Angels are going to be two really awesome factions going into ninth. Um, Blood Angels melee Alpha Strike lists are going to look pretty good, or I guess Beta Strike lists, because Alpha Strike lists are kind of kind of um. I don't want to call them dead, but they're they definitely feel underpowered. Um, and I also think the smaller the smaller map is going to really help Tyranids out. And you might start to see like Nidzilla or Horde plus Nidzilla lists um, in Tyranids as well. What do you what do you both think? I think this book. Okay, so in terms of factions, cool. You had like a good spread of factions. In terms of impact on the meta, this definitely had an impact on the meta, and. I think in in this is where we saw the transition from Tyranids, you know, being like a splash in to help Genes through the Cult armies into 
Genius of the Cult armies being more of a splash in to help Tyranid armies um, with the advent of like what this book kind of like brought to the forefront. And, you know, not only that, but, you know, the, the, the Blood Angel updates, you know, from there, we really kind of got to see some of the things that that faction was capable of, um, like in the, like game wise, you know, that we hadn't really seen before. And so, yes, I, I, I still think that the, the, you know, the, that this one should be one further down it, that, that, like that list. However, you know, it's, it's definitely up there in that, like the, the top middle, middle top ground of, of what yeah. Psychic Awakening has given us. I agree with Skari. Um, I like, I play Custodes, I play Blood Angels. They're like my two primary factions. I've got thousands and thousands of points of both. Um, blood, the Blood of Ball really excited me when it came out um that chapter tactic change for blood angels was massive just adding that plus one uh to the charge uh was just so incredible for that faction because they needed it so badly um they were a faction that basically people splashed in for their smash captains and and saw no other play um thomas extramoki could make them work basically the only person in the world um leading up to this point um and then all of a sudden they became very competitive top tier maybe not because it was a very bad time for it to be a top tier army but definitely in that like second rung of you have to know how to deal with blood angels because they're gonna destroy you if you don't um sanguinary guard in particular feel like sanguinary guard should right they're the most elite things that come out of this army when you drop down 20 of them your opponent has to be like well i don't know what to do anymore um and that's how they feel because they have they have such good stratagem support on top of you know the character support that's built in um blood angels came out of this book really like and it was immediately evident as soon as you saw like the first two things from this book that blood angels got a ton of bonuses tyranids it took a little bit more time i think initially when the book came out people were like this is garbage um because a lot of the custom traits were um very like they they were nothing compared to what like marines got and eldar got there was nothing in there that scr- that was the same power level so i think that was initially a downer um the unit specific stratagems which we've seen more and more um come out, coming out of these after this book were extremely good though um and people have been able to create some really good combos off of that. And we saw like Tyranids uh, moving up and up the ranks before COVID hit um, to being one of the, the top performing factions in the game, um, particularly on the backs of Tyranid warriors with, you know, ignore AP2 and all the other bonuses you can stack on them. And that's something that's going to carry over into ninth um, where you want something that's like a, like a big block of Tyranid warriors or five or six, at least that can sit in an objective and hold it for an entire turn. Cause it needs to live through that turn now. Yeah, not only that, but you know the the you know the revitalization of some of the psychic powers and things like that that really kind of brought some of the units that were already good, like Hive Guard, and you know mm-hmm. into back into the like back into the like mind of people, and then some of the units that had sort of been relegated into you know obscurity, like the Exocrine or things like that, because of their lack, like just getting a life of their own essentially yep. so and now with a smaller table size all these these units that have like a 36 24 inch range oh, become even scarier so that exocrine which had become an auto take because of the stratagem is even it's probably unless the points make it ridiculous even more of an auto take now because it it, it has just like that much more of the board 
uh, or that much less of the board you can hide from it from. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think you could definitely move this this codex down a spot or two, but I think people are underrating it. Um, and for me personally, I think it it's other than the top three. I think it's the most holistic codex in terms of its buffs for it both good. factions. Uh, also, it was only two factions, so it didn't. One faction wasn't left behind in this book. Yeah, the fluff in it was gross, though. Higher. Made me sad. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't much to it. Mephiston didn't. Anyways, yeah. GW. <laughs> Do a little better. Most the of the Psychic Awakening fluff, fluff has been was, pretty bad. Yeah, it wasn't. It hasn't been great. And anyways, we're not going to talk about that. Except the transmissions. The little secret transmissions. GW, you guys are so sly with your little tricks. All your little oh. sneak peeks about what we're going to see. Oh. Mm. Mm. All right. Squats, uh, people. Squats are coming. Just so let, it. Let, let's go ahead and jump into the next one. So this one was actually one when I was started this list, I thought I would rank it really low. And then as I more I read more and more into it, I realized just how good this book was. Um not only in terms of uh what it gave its factions, but also just how unique it was and also, you know, a little homage to a certain someone as well. So super great. Loved this book uh overall. And this is uh Psychic Awakening War of the Spider. So in my opinion, this book gave boosts to two factions, really good boosts to two factions, and didn't really leave any of its factions behind, except maybe the assassins. Um or you know, or Sisters of Silence. Sisters, Sisters of, of Silence, Silence don't count. Yes. They don't count. They were, they were you never shut your leave. mouth. <laughs> they you were, shut your mouth. You and your two hundred sisters can go sit down in the ice and They're fifty. Cry. Fifty. Uh, <laughs> not two hundred. That's fifty too many. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Anyways, um, but but what this book did for Death Guard, what it did for Custodes, um, was really good. I I really liked what they did for for those two factions in particular. Um, maybe I mean obviously Death Guard they became pretty competitive, and I think in ninth even more competitive. And obviously Custodes haven't been quite pushed to that level, but I really liked what they did with the Custodes book or with the Custodes faction in general, and that they just gave them more options. Um, which is super cool. I think, depending on ninth edition uh, points, um, Custodes, this book in particular, makes Custodes a top-ranked faction, a top-tier faction. Just the stuff in this book. I think War of the Spider is um, a book that, if you only thought about it in terms of what it did in eighth, which we'll never really get to see, um, it didn't do a lot because everything is pointed at CP. It needs CP to make it work. Custodes, not known for their CP, uh, Death Guard, at least if you want to run the mono faction, not known for their CP. Um, like Custodes often running with like three or four CP to start a game. So they just can't spend it on all these really awesome things they got. But with what we know of ninth, the amount of CP you're going to have, like this codex puts Custodes on the map. It gives you a tool to handle any situation. And I love it. I loved War of the Spider for Custodes. At first, I was a little bummed until I started thinking about it more in terms of ninth and less in terms of where we were at um, in eighth. Um, Death Guard as well. If you have the CP to spend now, Death Guard are dumb. Anything within 15 inches of a of a, like a Plague Marine squad is just auto-dead um, if you have the CP to spend. And that can be worth it, right? That's a scary thing. Like, now you have to think, if my Death Guard opponent's bringing rhinos with de- uh, with Plague Marines in them, I have to blow up those rhinos immediately because if they even move once and those guys get out, I'm in a lot of trouble. And I love that. I think um, 
oh yeah this this book well deserved to be close to the top the death guard changes really awesome like death guard mm-hmm. the i think every death guard player out there is going yes i can make my land raider have a five up discussing the resilient save or rhino or chaos spawn or whatever it is you want to give like a an actual because you've converted all these crazy cool looking plague monsters or whatever but yes the damage output went way up the resiliency is going to be huge in ninth edition and it really mm-hmm. seems like this psychic awakening book was sort of like one that was very much geared for ninth edition you know you've got all the psychic uh, all the stratagems for custodies that now they can physically use in game and the mechanics of the book you know tie themselves really well to probably like the secondaries and the way to play the missions and you know all that stuff so hmm. very very it's going to be cool to see a faction that did okay at the beginning of eighth edition with like being in the box set and stuff like that, but then quickly became sort of like a side note um, to becoming until Don Houston was like blight Lord terminators. And then everybody tried the blight Lord terminators, you know, <laughs> um, and then coming back to the forefront, new edition, you know, new, new uh, plagues for, uh, for the grandfather, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. I really like where Death Guard and Custodes are coming into in this next edition, and I'm really excited to see how they play out. Um, Brian Pullen's done some really excellent videos for Tabletop Titans already on how he thinks they're going to play, along with Adrian Michael Charles. Uh, highly recommend you guys check out those videos on YouTube. Um, anybody that's listening, they're very well thought out, very well put together. A um, couple of mistakes here and there, but like they like they they immediately correct them as well. Like they'll come in and say, "Hey, we meant to say this," etc. Overall, just like a really well done videos. They always do a great job. Um, and like if I wasn't excited before, listening to Brian talk about custodies and Death Guard has me even more excited um for what's to come. And this yeah. book is like the prime reason. And we haven't even talked about um the creations of Bile, which is kind of like the secondary thing in the book. Um, but it does have legs. Like there are combos you can pull off with that with that um that faction if you want to try it. It's just there harder to pull off than some of the other things you can already do but still it's cute it's a nice free edition if you want to go that route yeah i so what i love most about this book was it really brought breathed life into two factions that i think really needed it in custodes and death guard um uh, death guard in particular were were not in a great spot uh they were basically relegated to cheap armies that newer players to 40k could buy on ebay Mm-hmm. which is which is you know dark imperiums gw is doing um but the world spider did really well um i agree i think that the the fabius bile up, upgrades or whatever whatever they're called you i know you just said it um i thought they were really cool um i think that the stuff with the assassins wasn't bad uh <laughs> sisters of silence are <laughs> so sisters of silence got a bum rap i'm really sad about that they could have done better so that's my <laughs> um, negative about this book. One thing I'll say about assassins that makes them better. Um, you get one essentially for free now if you want to take it, that or an Inquisitor because of the Agents of Imperium rule. Um, so that's great. So you want to take a Calexus. So now your Pokeball, isn't, it doesn't automatically cost you 2 CP at the beginning of a game. Um, <laughs> right? You can choose to make it cost you 2 CP if that particular assassin doesn't fit your, your like whatever you're up against in, in, a, in, a, in a game. And I like that a lot more. Which I like. So... Too. I think that's a big bonus because assassins went from auto take to eh, maybe take to like never taken yeah. um, to now. I think that in certain particular armies, 
um, you're going to see them again um, just for that reason, especially now in a game, uh, a ninth edition game where fact people are going to have 20 to 22, 25, whatever CP to spend in a game. Throwing that extra two CP down at the beginning is well worth it to have that extra tool in your, your uh, toolbox. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, also, I think that this had the best fluff out of all the Psychic Week. It books. did. Just as a quick aside, I, I think what what they did with Fabius Bile was actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. His, you know, they made him look sound a lot cooler than than what he was before. The um, Fabius Bile trilogy, by the way, if you've never read it, the, that's been written, pretty solid. So what happens so when nice. you hang out long enough with the Dark Ken? Just saying, you know, come yeah. visit us for a while. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, so th- that's the beginning of our top three. Let's go ahead and move into second place. Um, now, th- with this book, uh, with the exception of the book in first place, I think it's the most well-rounded book for Psychic Awakening. I think it also, and that's saying something because it has three factions that it bo- boosts instead of two. Mm. So it's like Blood of Ball. Well, we'll talk about it. It boosts but, uh, two really a lot. Two really a lot. One, okay. But most importantly, to one, me, it doesn't, but it's fine. Uh, well, most importantly to me is I think it boosted them all consistently in the rules that they were trying to give them, mm-hmm. right? So, like in other books, like um, Faith and Fury, for instance, uh, Chaos Space Marines got like uh, an array of really cool things. Space Marines got like a footnote of really amazing warlord traits, and Black Templar got. Ugh. But with this next book, I feel like they genuinely tried to boost all three factions, and they succeeded with two of them, and the third one needed help. Be- to begin with <laughs> yeah i think the third one didn't need help when they wrote it yes and then and then um when by the time the book came out they realized they'd made a boo-boo and it yep. was too late but anyway. also also this one was consistently amongst all the people i asked was consistently in the top three more consistently than all the others in the top three um and this, so this is psychic awakening the greater good if you're unfamiliar with this book, uh, they boosted. They talked about t- rules for Tau, Astromilitarum, and Gene Sealer Colts. Um, now, the Astromilitarum stuff is actually, I, I think, pretty inspired. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I think there's a lot of really good stuff in there. I, I like what they did with Militarum Tempestus. Um, they brought the Scion Command Squads kind of back. Um, they gave them cool new rules. And overall, I think if you were to play an Imperial Army that isn't Space Marines, and you wanted to have like your own unique flavor of of cool competitive list that you can call your own, I would actually say take Astro Militarum. Um, and I think Brandon Grant is kind of proof of that. Um, but Tau, what what they did, the holy shit. Yeah. They completely changed the face of that faction and it wasn't bad to begin with. Um, and they, like, what we didn't get to see because of COVID was just how strong Farside Enclaves was. Um, I think it's still strong coming into the next edition. Probably a little less so, but not overly much. Well, anybody who um, played on Tabletop Simulator and yeah, played they got against to see Tau, you, you, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that Crisis Bodyguard uh, blob was dumb. Absolutely dumb to watch anybody play. I saw Siegler using it. I've seen... Um, who else pull and play it. I saw people play it on tabletop simulator. Um, absolutely probably would have been like the number one or, you know, on a, on the same par as a Raven guard for like number one list um, for the last couple of months. If you know, COVID hadn't happened because that thing is insanity. Um, and the great thing about it, and I'm sorry we cut you off Pablo, cause I'm sure this is the stuff sure, you were sure. going to say um, was that far side enclaves were essentially unplayable up until this point. The only way you played Tau was trip tied um, with a bunch of drones 
and maybe some Pathfinders if you were going the Siegler method, maybe something else, depending on the others. And then they were like, hey, let's make Farside Enclaves good so there's at least a secondary way to play. And they definitely succeeded. Maybe went over uh, like overboard a little too much, at least in terms of 8th edition. Um, I think they're going to be more balanced with the eight, the ninth edition rules, at least from what we've seen. But the that that core ability of just you know making a a tau army that could actually punch you in the face lets you take commanders again um, without too much of attacks, and um, was just that much more mobile was very exciting to see being played. The little bit we got to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. Everything. I, I when I was going through this, everything about the tau books. I like I loved right. I I think we talked a lot about Farside Enclaves, but their uh, prototype systems. Yes, they were, were they're very ex- good. Everything that the Tyranids wish they could have gotten, but better. Um, yeah. and I don't even I don't even think the mutations for Tyranids were bad. Um, the prototype systems were just that good. They weren't good, but uh, yes, some prototypes were, were some fantastic. Of them were pretty good. Some of them, some of the mutations were actually pretty good, but the prototypes were were just better like across the board. Yeah. Also, their sept their custom sept rules were pretty cool. That extra AP. Yep. Yep. Receptral was is like insane. Hardened missiles it, is very hard good. Hard missiles, a uh, high yield missile pods. High yield missile pod. It, yeah. Oh my god, was already good. pretty dangerous. Um, uh, hardened warheads. Sorry, not hardened missiles. Hardened warheads. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, obviously, Shadow Sun was okay. Which I actually think their GW in general does a terrible job with characters, anyways. For whatever um, reason, they they forgot that points were a thing with these new yeah. special characters. <laughs> I think like all of them that got released until Pariah, like that's probably the only good thing out of Pariah was they at least put the points in for the units they were creating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, compared <laughs> to every other book we had to level. ask after. Yeah, right. Everybody plays power yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh yeah, Broadside's got some cool stuff. Farside Enclaves obviously got the biggest buff. Uh the Tau Commander's got a whole bunch of new tools to work with. And then by my count, um and I wasn't sure yet cuz I think I think War of the Spider might have might have matched them, but Tau got 15 stratagems, which I think is the most out of everyone. Um I wasn't sure, but th- it felt like they had a lot of stratagems, so I counted them. Um and I counted 15, which feels like a lot of stratagems for a supplement mm-hmm. um that's that's like more than most than some codexes get i believe death guard and custodes got roughly the same because each one custodes got, like got a, a lot because yeah. custodes also got the individual ones for each shield host as did um as did the um death guard right so yeah but but so like if you in my opinion if you take away the generic space marine stratagems that everyone got the like veteran intercessors and mm-hmm, transhuman mm-hmm. physiology i feel like tau got the most unique ones and the other cool thing about all the tau stratagems is that the 15 new ones is almost none of them were were sept specific they were all general so yeah. w- which was great um anyways tower i i think i think top three biggest winning faction um astromel Terum, were phenomenal and then uh gene circle weren't terrible like let's gene circle was not good like let's be honest they (laughs) no like i would say of the things that were in that gene circle book that we have seen seen any play um is the stratagem to make mining lasers better because ridge runners are a thing and yeah i don't know i think that's about it they had a couple cool psychic powers but the rusted claw vehicle power was okay. Yeah. Um, but in general, like it, it wasn't good and you can kind of feel why. And I think that the, the, th- the consensus among Gene Sterlicult players was they were very good 
six months before this book, well, maybe, yeah, about six months before this book was released, they were statistically the best army in the game. They did require a little bit of skill to play, but, like, their results showed it. They were very strong. They took a small nerf um, right after Space Marines came out, which they probably no longer needed because Space Marines were so strong and so and so prevalent. And um, they just haven't really been able to climb out outside of like horrendously skewed lists ever since, right? You had Ridge Runner spam, um, which yeah. was very strong, but a skew list, and um, like a Jackal spam as another list that worked very well, also yeah. a very skewed list. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they can, what they can do in ninth edition, because I think they probably need the most love out of anybody now uh, going into it. And it's not an edition that favors a lot of their strategies. I, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think what I liked about and what I have written down my notes about the greater good for Gene Circles is that GW buffed what all the Gene Circle innovators were already doing, like the Ridge Runners and the Outland Jack- Jackals. They obviously left like Muscle Beach alone and the Horde lists and mm-hmm. a lot of the lists that were commonly taken, but they also nerfed those lists in the ground. So as I yeah. kind of saw it, it was kind of like a faction shift or a focus shift on the good units in that codex um which which i kind of liked but i agree with you i think i think not the greatest buffs um certainly not not the worst um and and the other two factions are just amazing so the greater good even if you're a gene circle player just get it because you're a poor gene circle player like you need all the help you can get i think it's true of all of them like (laughs) get them if they if they are part of if they affect your faction there's something in there you're going to use um (laughs) Well, maybe not Drukari, except for Drazar. Um, <laughs> well, but... Drazar and Test of Scale and yeah, Dark yeah. Carnival. We, we, we went over what? this. This, this is going to be an eight-hour podcast. we talk about it again? We have to redo it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's talk about number one. Number uh, one. Now, this one. Beep, 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 beep. And this we have is... arrived. You have been patiently waiting for <laughs> Pablo to say the name of what you already know because of your powers of deduction. Ooh. So uh if you if you are by your power deduction or Google Foo or whatever, <laughs> Harlequin's White Dwarf. <laughs> um, Surprise! this one is just a better version of Ritual of the Damned in terms of how it buffed its factions. Um what it did for the main faction it buffed was insane. The just the, the numbers that players have been showing me Mm-hmm. And the amount of people buying the new stuff released in this book. Mm-hmm. It was also the only book, it, it was the book that got the most new models mm-hmm. out of all the others, which I thought was pretty unique. Um, and then the other stuff for the factions wasn't bad. It was all free. It was all mm-hmm. solid. Um, maybe not, if you're wishlisting, maybe not what you wanted. Um, and that's uh, Psychic Wicking Engine War. So, putting Admech aside for a second, we're, we're going to talk about Admech because that's, that's going to take the longest amount of time. I actually really like what they did with the Imperial Knight Allegiances and also the Chaos Knight Allegiances. And going into 9th edition, I strongly believe that Knights are going to be good at the start of the edition. Just looking at the way they kind of looked at points um, and points raises uh, based off of some material that may or may not be from official GW stuff, because I don't look at that stuff because that's bad. Um, But... Uh, joking aside, um, I think that knights are going to be in a good spot, and the engine war book for knights and chaos knights and even demons, the exalted demons and stuff, is going to help people get into this edition quickly. So I, I, I think I forgot who said this last week on Chapter Tactics, but uh, people who take knights 
are going to do better at the beginning of the edition because knights are going to be an easier faction to run because they have low model count. They're super easy to get their points off of and you've got to learn new missions. So I think Engine War has a high impact for those three factions in ninth edition. Um, maybe not for Chaos Demons as much. Uh, I don't know where Chaos Demons are going to stay. They're a very interesting faction right now. But let's talk about Admech now. All okay, right. whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? You're just going to brush off Chaos oh, Demons. Okay, fine, fine, fine. fine. Let's Chaos Demons got greater. Chaos Demons. <laughs> they got Exalted Demons, which was cool. Yep. Yes. Um, it made the, the one list you could play with them even better yep. because Exalted uh, Keepers of Secrets are, are ridiculous and Keepers of Secrets really were good. already good. Yep. They made the Exalted Lord of Change pretty good if you put the right stuff on him. Uh, yes, um, he is a tank and yes. combined with like, you know, the impossible robe and minus one damage. Oh man, I'm having post-traumatic stress sort of from <laughs> the last I watched a couple. I played. I watched a couple TTS with um, some people running it. I feel you. Um, they made the Bloodthirster maybe playable in certain circumstances because uh, he's got a couple cool ones. Great Unclean one's still unplayable. I don't think it did anything else for the rest of that book, and that's unfortunate because that book needs a lot of love. And maybe well, GW Nerdlings, just decided Nerdlings. we we can't. Oh, I guess Nerglings and Flamers of Zeech mm-hmm, got a little mm-hmm. bit, um, but I don't think it was enough because they were like they had been hammered down so far, like down the tracks. And on top of the fact that we're now moving into an edition that seems to want more MSU and they play very hoardy, hard to say how it all play out. I feel I feel bad for Chaos Demons because it was very uninspired what what they got. More than anything, I think it was very uninspired. Hmm. Um, and then if you look at the other two, Renegade Knights didn't get anything that was amazing, but everything was free. So the, you can't complain about getting uh, to pick a household tradition now. Um because it's free. Like, you don't have to pay CP for it. You're just like, now I'm House uh, Herpy Duda or uh, House. Um, <laughs> what is it? Duda. Well, Herpetrix, right? Like, yep. and House um, Syphilis and all those other ones are super good. Well, not super good, but they're better than nothing. Um, and then Imperial Knights got some amazing stratagems, like super good stratagems. They, uh, they're they're knight specific, but they feel good. Like, the Paladin stratagem, all of a sudden people are looking at Paladins again, like, ooh, ooh. Damage three battle cannon. I could see myself running that. That's a pretty cheap model. Um, the warden with um, getting the stratagem to auto hit. They'll put that on endless fury, and now that you can sh- that you like shoot into combat when you're in combat, that's a scary concept to have to deal with. Like twelve shots that are what strength seven, AP minus one, two damage each, or whatever AP two. Yeah, and that's not um, even not even factoring that's in not that, even like the... for ninth edition, the amount of CPs they'll have plus CP generation yeah. every turn. You know, like it's gonna be great. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Um, so they've got like they got a, a good amount. I'd give them like a B plus. I'd give Renegade Knights a C plus because like what they got was free. It wasn't super incredible, but it was free, so you can't complain. Um, now I'll let you talk about Admech because Admech is dumb. Okay, yeah. So I I actually went in, and if you're unfamiliar with what's going on with Admech right now, um, to give you an idea, uh, those new models, all of them, the Archaeoraptor, exception of the Manipolis. The Archaeoraptor, the Cerberus Raiders, and the Taraxi, all of them are selling like crazy. Uh, not only BR stores, but also just GW in general. Um, they're really, really cool, which mm-hmm. means automatically people are going to start buying them, and the rules for them are actually really good. Uh, so whenever you get that kind of double threat combination in a model, you usually get the kind of over-centralization that you would expect like Space Marines to have. Um, so 
On top of that, Admec weren't a bad faction. They were actually pretty good. They, they were, were always the on the cusp. Faction. Yeah, yeah. They were they always were... on the cusp of greatness, right? Like, yes. it was always like, if they had one more thing, they'd be amazing. But they oh, never yeah. had it. Yeah, they fl- they always fluctuated. They, you know, they, they were never, like, awful. Um, but with Engine War and with Ninth Edition around the corner, uh, I think Admec are going to be absolutely terrifying. And mm-hmm. the, some of the lists I've seen with the the spam, the Cerberus Raiders in particular, look. Cerberus bad. Raiders are the type of model, particularly with what we've seen with Ninth Edition, depending on their points, of course, because they could get pointed out of existence. But if they're pointed properly, I don't or, think they are or like, too low, because I right. think they will be pointed too low at first. That's my gut. Um, I hope I'm wrong. But like that's the type of model that you will want to break mm-hmm. Like if you're playing against it. If I'm playing Blood Angels and I can't charge you for three turns because of a two CP stratagem, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. Like It's going to happen. I'm just going to be sitting there, and that's what's going to put me on tilt is like, oh, I have to deal with this shenanigan for the rest of this game. Um, and that is crazy. Like That's such a powerful ability, and it's particularly in this edition where multi-charges essentially always auto-fail. Um, it's something you have to think about. Um, and then looking at just the amount of damage output they can put out, their new canticles are incredibly good. Yeah, the the um, Mars one where the the plus one strength and plus the, one strength canticle power of the machine spirit on things. And it's on crazy. and it's and it's the and it's the with the one that has a special character that lets you take you know lets you basically pick which one you want every turn. Yep, that's really really good. Um, and then you were talking about like the Taraxi. I think Taraxi have play. Um, especially as Mars, the five, the pistol five shots um, that you can now make do mortal wounds because you're Mars. That's not too terrible. Castle and robots, crazy amount of attacks. Hopefully they actually give heavy phosphor blasters a point cost in ninth edition because in engine war they don't. And that makes them like 25 points, which is real broken. But that's a whole other thing. Um, and doesn't matter because we're not playing the game right now. But like, there's so many crazy good things in Admech now, and you can layer them. It's not so just easily. It's not just that they got good things because they did get good things. They got new units. They got the ability to to sort of like impact different elements of the game in terms of like maneuverability, board control, speed, that sort of thing. But what happened is they basically grabbed everything that was like a weakness for Admech and plugged it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, yep. you get tagged in combat? Plugged. Oh, you've got, you can't screen properly? Plugged. Oh, you, uh, you know, don't have place, you can't, don't have stuff that can get around the board quickly? Plugged. You know, so it's like they, they, they plugged all the gaps and you can, I feel Admech is like the Imperium's Eldar. They just have like everything. Like when Eldar was really good, they just have like, yeah. they could just break all the rules. I'm just waiting for their Psyker to come out. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, A Plasmancer <laughs> that follows the Void Dragon. Uh, so, <laughs> so the, the other thing about the Cerberus Raiders is um, in particular, it, they're fast and they're, their cheapness can't be understated because I think it's like when you max them out, I think it, they come out to like five points a model per, per wound, excuse me, five points per wound. Yeah. Not um, per model. I, oh, oh. Oh, yeah, oh, you yeah. almost gave me a heart attack. I thought this was like a ninth edition. <laughs> a, like, Oh, by the way, guys, oopsie. Which is, which is like, like um, infantry squad levels of cheap. Like that's, yep. but for a really not a bad unit. Um, and on top of that, I don't think that any of these ad changes are 
points changes are going to happen in ninth edition. This was a Psychic Awakening book that happened at the tail end of the Psychic Awakening releases. Um, definitely was created well after ninth edition was was created. Um, you know, like if you think about like uh, it takes them six months or something to work on it. Uh, they already have a, pr- a chapter proof printed. Mm-hmm. Which means that I I doubt that they had the foresight to nerf a faction, uh, you know, before sight it was unseen. even released, right? right? Yeah, sight unseen. So we're we're looking at potential advec dominance until chapter approved of December, but in a normal circumstances. But with COVID, if GW doesn't see tournament results happen for the rest of for at least the rest of the summer, then chapter approved isn't going to fix admec. So we might see Admech dominance on the same level as Space Marines. Um, they are that good. They have they, their Scorpius Dune or their Scorpius Disintegrators with the Mars buffs are insane. You can run multiple different lists with them. You can take a single knight, and with some of the knight buffs that you get, I, I would say like one Quester Mechanicus like Warden isn't bad with Admech. And on top of all that, um, I I think the Admech have some really good players. You might see someone like Matt Root come back, play Admech, and do really well. Um, I mean, just look at the people that picked it up already. Yeah, like Richard like Siegler's Richard is building Siegler. it. Um, I, uh, I can Nick list Rose. off so many. Nick Rowe. Um, like yeah. anytime you see top players start building an army, give it a second look. Um, because it's generally not because they enjoy the hobby. Um. <laughs> Sometimes it is, but I've seen Nick Rose's models. So, um, <laughs> just, just kidding, bud. You don't listen to the show anyway, so it's fine. That's true. And, uh, <laughs> and, but yeah, like it's, I'm not going to say I'm scared yet because we never know. Um, but everybody that's talking to me is like, Admech is something that's super scary. Any, anybody that I know that either knows something or doesn't know something, but just knows how to play this game is like, wow, Admech is something you need to be worried about. Um, coming into ninth edition because they are just good at everything except psychic and they don't need to be good at psychic. Yeah. Uh, now, the, just another cool thing about Admech that I really like is the three, well, the Archeraptor not so much, but the Taraxi and the Cerberus Raiders gave Admech some cool tools that mm-hmm. they didn't have before. Um, the Cerberus Raiders are really good at board control. They're really good at reaching out, going into hard to reach places. And they can and snipe characters. characters. They can snipe I was literally characters. going to say that. They will walk yeah. up and not only snipe characters, but do mortal wounds. So they can do damage to like everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, then, and then they'll charge your, your bubble wrap line and just obliterate it. If, if Admic don't need that to happen, but they could do it. Um, and the the Taraxi are like a Sean Naden built like engine of destruction on the tabletop. Like they can deep strike. They when they come down, they can do a lot of damage. They have that two plus deny your fallback um, mm-hmm. thing, which is which is also cr- the Talons thing or whatever, which is insane um, on a flying deep striking unit. Uh, they they I think they're okay in combat. I think they've got like a couple attacks strength you five, can, or which depending on the version, they're strength five. Um, yeah, that's okay. I AP mean, one, one damage. It's not bad. Right, but but like Sean Naden does more with worse units, worse models, right? So anyways, the, their points look appropriate. The, their points look like about what I would expect them to be. Maybe a little on the cheaper side, but overall, I'm just overall so hyped for, for Admech, and that's why they're number one, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I Well, you saw the list I posted in the Facebook, which had Admech as number one, and it's just because I think they're going to be broken. Um but yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, rise, Scarry? machines, rise, rise, and go <laughs> forth for the flesh is weak. 
and go kind of go bow down to your void dragon. <laughs> yeah, I kind of really want to um, start an admic army. They've really come into their own as a as kind of like a cool fleshed out faction. I remember Whereas before. Sorry to interrupt. Twenty years ago, or you know, whenever that like the whole Mars adepts and Skitari and servitors were all just like like ideas. And now that yep. they're physically like an army you can play is like unreal. It's awesome. Yeah, they're fleshed out too. They've got different play styles. Um, they obviously don't have psychers, but uh, you can you can run like horde melee. You can run like shooty. You can go blob. You can go big big mech boys. Um, you know, allying in the night. It's it's just it's pretty cool. Um, Admech, I think are going to be in the top three armies. I, I even think they might be better than Grey Knights. Just judging from what I've seen so far, I do too. I do too. Yeah, um, I don't even think Grey Knights are in shots five. I don't even know if Grey Knights are in the top three anymore. Shots five. Yeah, you, you'll see. Right. It's hard. It's hard to I say. I think Custodes will dethrone Grey Knights, and then we'll have like Admec and Custodes like battling it for like top spot. Mm. Oh, Space Marines are still the number one faction. Mm, I uh, think Admec are better than Marines. Ooh, I think really? Admec. Oh yeah, Admec have the ability. They have the Eldar firepower to crush Marines. I do. I really think I think Admec are head and shoulders above everybody else right now. Um, but I mean, like we said, we have to see points and we have to see a GT pack before we yep. can confirm because maybe everything changes. Maybe in the GT pack it says um, Admec are twice the points that they are now, and then you're like, oh, sorry. I mean, it'd be a really silly that was addendum. A good three I've weeks. Seen worse. All yeah. right. Cool. So that that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and if you're also if you're unfamiliar with the way Chapter Tactics operates, at the end of episode, we do like to open the floor to patrons where they ask us questions. We're gonna kind of blaze right through these since we are running a little longer. And they're all bad scheduled. questions anyway. They're uh, all bad patrons. So we're gonna ask. We're gonna answer these questions live on air. And if you want to ask us questions and support the podcast, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/ChapterTactics and uh, just you know for five dollars a month, you can ask us silly questions like. Just like the age-old question of, is a hot dog a sandwich? Is White Dwarf Psychic Awakening actually a book? We already covered also, it. Also, do we expect players to use custom chapters of factions in competitive play? I think I think most yes, people are questions. going to go with custom chapters. Yes. Yes to everything. Okay, next question comes from patron Kelsey. Uh, through the new lens of 9th edition, when looking at past codexes and supplementary rules, how far do you take Theory Hammer? Um, do you think about which units armies will take advantage of new rules? Um, and so on and so forth. So how far do you take your theoretical knowledge um, when going into a new edition? I think Theory Hammer is a dangerous road. There's a big difference between, you know, Theory Hammer, which is like thinking about ideas, and Expectation Hammer, where you kind of like build your expectations up and then are Mm -hmm. disappointed or not. So you have to be very careful uh, which one. Personally, I go... Whatever they release, I'm not going to make any judgment until I read it, essentially. And I just mm-hmm. save myself the hassle of wasting brain power on stuff that doesn't matter until I can read it. Uh, interesting. Uh, you got to watch out for, for their cousin's Speculation Hammer and Review Hammer, too, <laughs> as well. Uh, <laughs> and all together, podcasts they're all and... fucked. Oh, sorry. Pardon my French. <laughs> no. You guys. <laughs> I used to be me. I used to be the bad boy. What Anyways. happened to this world? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, I think the cool thing about Theory Hammer when looking at it is not necessarily the theorizing, because Scarry's right, um, it is very much a trap and a pitfall, but Theory Hammer is really good for keeping you excited and thinking mm-hmm. about a particular subject. So if you're worried about um, losing a step or not following up, not being basically getting lost 
in all the rules that are about to come out, Theory Hammer's perfect. Just yeah, use don't, that to don't let it make don't let it uh, make the choice for you on what army to buy or what units to purchase. But Theory Hammer is fun. It's just poopy when you're like, oh man, gargoyles are the next best thing, and then you buy eighty gargoyles, and then the the codex comes out and gargoyles are a bunch of garbage still, and then you have all these gargoyles, and you're like, god damn it, why did I build all these gargoyles? Like, don't do that, because that's how <laughs> um, you, your life gets ruined, and then you get divorced, and it's a whole thing. All right, Patron Paul has a question. Um, if COVID hadn't come in and ruined everything, what do you guys think about the meta development over the entire Psychic Awakening season? What would have looked like? Would it have been healthy, or do you think it would have been interesting, um, or one, just a bunch of broken factions? It would have been a roller coaster of emotional distress. I think it would have been. I think you're right. I think Tau would have come out and started stomping, but I think Raven Guard and Grey Knights would have still been just as strong. It, it honestly so, would have been the same old, same old, and then and it would just been up and down and up and down, and people would be. It would have been good. It, it would have been fun have made... and exciting. Uh, go ahead. Um, and looks like we uh, death lost to the Grey Knights. Uh, everyone. Uh oh, Pablo's dead. Did pa- did... Oh, Pablo, you're back. Are you back? No. Okay. So oh, yeah, it looks like we had a little glitch in the matrix. Yes, yeah. the matrix decided that uh, it was way too much up up and downs. It was <laughs> it was mostly your fault, Scary, but it's okay. Hey, hey, um, I so, might have failed my uh, shadow field today, but I will be back. <laughs> but but yeah, w- w- I think what would have happened. I think I agree with both of you. But the psychic weakening books would have made a very interesting nova if everything had proceeded as planned without COVID. Um, you know, I, I think I mean we would have had a clear top five, but uh Nova would have been like like really maybe maybe uh UTC WTC. I think WTC would have been awesome and I'm super bad I didn't get to go. Yeah, I think maybe WTC also would have been really cool, but uh, for sure Nova would have been amazing. Um anyways, uh good question. Next, um patron Dan wants to know what characters have disappeared from the competitive scene that you want to come back for either fluff or it's just sweet model reasons. Dan easily, easy easy, Inquisitor Helena Valeria. I thought you were gonna say that. Needs to come back. Moving on. <laughs> I'm i I'm joking. Scarry and Peter, do you have any characters you want to see actually come back into the competitive scene? Um the Duke, Sliscus, the Baron, Sathanix. Come on. Like Okay, fair. The, the Baron is pretty cool. He was awesome. I would love to see Dante see play as a Blood Angels player. Um, he just never has, mm-hmm. and that w- if they could do something to make him Supreme Commander like, playable, maybe. I I don't know if even Supreme Commander makes him playable. I think the problem with him is he's just like he's a he's a good chapter master, but he doesn't do anything special. He's worse than a Smash Captain. He has the old ch- chapter master rule. So it, it, he just needs some kind of fluffy, flavorful rule on top of what he has to make him worth playing. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see Dante playable again. Now, in all seriousness, uh, finally, though, Lilith Hesperax. She is okay, That would be cool. Yeah. She's, oh, yeah. Um, so finally, final question. Patron Kane wants to know, which Psychic Wiccan do you think was strong in 8th edition that is most negatively impacted by the new edition? Maybe Phoenix Rising? I don't know. I think, yeah, I think Phoenix Rising is probably the... It's why we kind of rated it so low, right? Because, I mean, Scarry and I both kind of mentioned that it made Eldar amazing uh, very briefly. Um, whether they stayed amazing, I don't think is the case. 
So probably that one, because it's the earliest. I don't think they really had as much of Ninth in mind when they wrote it compared to the later books. I would agree. So. No stratagems, you know, especially I think is the biggest thing. They're giving us all these command points and we're stuck with the same stratagems that we've had yeah. all of eight. Yeah. It definitely felt more like the one where they're like, let's make Eldar as good as Marines rather than let's prep this uh, this faction for the next edition. All right. So that's it. That's the episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Skari, if they want to hear more from you, where can they find you? You can find me as a coach on the Art of War. So stay tuned. We're doing some really cool stuff and discounts for 9th edition. So if you want to get coached by one of our elite team of coaches, get ready for 9th edition. Head on over to theartofwar40k.com and sign up today. Right on. And then, uh, uh, Peter, any um, plugs? Eh, you know, I'm on Honest Wargamer every Tuesday morning at 4.30 in the morning, my time, uh, to talk uh, the 40K adjacent show with Val. That's always a lot of fun. And uh, every Monday night now, um, as a bedtime thing for people, if they want to listen, um, at 9.30 PST. I'm going to try to make it earlier, but it all really depends on chapter tactics as to when it happens, because uh, that's when we generally record chapter tactics around that time. I uh, I uh, do Fireside with the Falcon on twitch.tv slash thefalcon40k, where I I just read short stories from the 40k uh, universe so you guys can paint or do whatever you want while I do it um, just to give you something to do in this kind of dark COVID time where you're a little bored um, maybe it'll put you nice. to sleep can you give us a teaser right now I don't have one of the books with me but last Monday which was my first show I read Pestilence by Dan Abnett it Ooh. is an excellent short story you can find it in Magos uh, the fourth of the Eisenhorn books at the beginning um, it's also in a number of other publications it's a story of a administratum um, a member of the administratum um, who's dealing with a major pandemic on a world and he goes to an insane asylum to try and find a way to uh, come up with some kind of vaccine or cure um, to resolve it. And wow. what he finds there changes his soul forever. So, so, it's, so it's basically so, like February 2020, yeah. but in the 40K universe. Right on. All right. Thank you so much, Peter, the Falcon, for letting us know. I'm super excited. Um, and if we're looking for private readings, um, just uh, hit, hit up your OnlyFans page, I'm assuming. Yeah, my OnlyFans page. Um, okay. You can also find me on the 25th or 26th page on Pornhub, um, generally in most favorited. Um, I'm trying to move my way up. It's hard Signature to do, move though. the... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, listening listeners. You are all, of course, the best listeners in the world. And as always, have a good one. Bye-bye.